Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited about what God's doing in this church. We're excited about spending time together with you tonight here in Life Together. Uh, This week is a very special week for my family because in our family it is birthday week. My youngest son, Miles, is turning seven on Friday. And yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Miles is our fourth born and he's, there's just something very special about fourth borns. Out of curiosity in the room, uh, is anyone in here the fourth born child in their family? Oh, I see a few hands. Or, or at least like more than fourth born, fifth, seventh. Way to be. Stay in the game. We're glad that you're here. I, I'm a second born. I feel like in my limited experience, fourth born children are really special. And I think part of it comes from an awareness that their parents easily could have stopped at three. And... And so I think, I think a firstborn walks up to their parents with this attitude of like, you needed me. You gave up everything for me. And then the fourthborn is like, hey, I know your friends try to talk you out of this on several occasions, so I'm just glad to be here. Thank you. I just love being alive. And my son Miles is that way. He walks through life just happy to be there, just happy to be alive. So Monday, I spent a lot of time in my home office working on a creative project. And by 8 p.m. at night, I needed to stop and I just needed to stretch. So at 8 p.m. at night, I just announced to my house, I'm going for a walk, who's going with me? And can you guess who says he's gonna go with me? Miles does, because he's just happy to be alive. So Miles gets his flip-flops, we go to the front door, we open up the front door, and as we do, something happens because Miles realizes something that he was not aware when he accepted my invitation and that it is dark outside. So the sun had recently set, the horizon is glowing, the street lights are on, and there are shadows everywhere. Miles does not like the dark. He does not like to sleep in a dark room. He definitely does not like to walk down the stairs into a dark basement. There's an author by the name of Angela Paniotopoulos, and she said it like this, most people fear the darkness. Others, more wisely, fear the things within the darkness. So Miles makes sure that I have my phone on me because he knows that my phone has a flashlight on the backside of it. And then me and Miles go walking into the darkness. So we walk for about 15 minutes around our neighborhood, just two blocks and circled back. And I'm going to do my best to recreate for you about a 30-second excerpt of the 15-minute conversation we had on this walk. None of these are my words. To the best of my recollection, everything I'm about to say is a direct quote from Miles. Dad, I'm not going to hold your hand. Because if I hold your hand, it means that I'm scared. But I'm not going to be scared. So I'm not going to hold your hand unless... I just want to hold your hand because you're my dad. So I think I'm going to hold your hand because you're my dad and not because I'm scared. If we see a black cat, that is going to be super creepy. Last year, that house over there had the creepiest decorations for Halloween. They had a witch in a rocking chair that was rocking back and forth. And I know that it was actually like a robot that you can buy at Myers, but it's still creepy. I think there are only three types of monsters, skeletons, cyclops, and zombies. And I know that they're not real, but they're still creepy. And I know that Jesus would be stronger. But hi, my name is Miles. 
So I promise you, we were walking down the street. There's this large hedge. I did not see it coming. We crossed past this hedge, and there are two men in the dark on the edge of their pickup truck, quietly drinking a beer. I didn't see them. So mid-sentence, Miles introduces to them, and I jump. I didn't scream, but I did not handle it smoothly. (laughs) And that is the story of how me and Miles met our neighbors. No one likes the dark. No one likes to not know what's in front of them. Everyone wants to see the edge of the cliff. Everyone wants to see trouble before it gets too close. No one likes the dark. I want to remind you tonight with everything that's within me, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Tonight we're in the middle of a five-week series entitled The Blueprint of the Heart. We are looking at the design of the heart that God made for you, and we're comparing it to the design of the tabernacle that God made. We believe that there are similarities and things we can learn about the way that God made the tabernacle to teach us about how God made your heart. In week one, we looked at the heart that seeks belonging. We learned that Jesus is the gate and that he is the entry point to relationship with Christ. Last week, we learned about the heart that seeks forgiveness, how our hearts are designed to need to be forgiven, to seek to be clean. We looked at the altar and the basin and how through Christ's forgiveness, we can move into relationship with God. Today, we're going to consider the heart that seeks direction. Mandy set up the series with a theme verse, and she gave us the challenge of memorizing this verse. I'm very looking forward to Mandy's preaching on the very last week of the series, and she will quote it for us, I'm sure. If you haven't memorized it yet, like me, you can read it along with me. If you would like to set that goal with us, you could write this verse down so you remember it as the week goes by. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. Let's read it out loud together today as we get started. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you that you have put a new heart inside of us. We thank you that we can be redesigned in your will. I pray, Lord, that you would guide our hearts tonight as we study your word, that we may be shaped by your Holy Spirit, and that you would speak to us in a clear and meaningful way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today we're going to walk into something new. The last two weeks occurred in the courtyard of the tabernacle, so we weren't outside the tabernacle, but yet we weren't quite inside it yet. Today we're going to move into the first enclosure. This was called the holy place, and now we're moving into something that would have four walls and a ceiling on top of it. Let's read in Exodus chapter 25 the instructions for the piece of furniture that we're going to look at today. In this room, in the holy place, there's three pieces of furniture. We're going to look at one this week and then two on the following week. So here is the instructions for how to make the golden lampstand. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, the base, center stem, lamp cups, buds, and petals. Make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. Each of the six branches will have three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. So this, this, this is one super impressive floor lamp. 
So this thing is beautiful. It's made out of solid gold, and it's huge. So a center, if you can picture this in your heads, a center candlestick, and then off to one side are three stems, and off to the other side are three more stems. If you were Jewish, you would recognize this as a menorah. Uh, Hanukkah features a type of menorah, but the original one comes all the way back to the Old Testament tabernacle. And then this thing is made out of solid gold. It was estimated to weigh 94 pounds. That is huge. 94 pounds of solid gold. If you tried to recreate it today with our economy, it would cost about $2 million to make this beautiful, fantastic lampstand. Um, this might make you think what it made me think when I was reading this, reading through this this week, is where exactly did these freed slaves come up with $2 million worth of gold? It's one of the lesser-known miracles of the Exodus. So you might know when the children of Israel escaped from Egypt, the miracle of the ten plagues, or the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea as they escaped out. Well, there's a lesser-known miracle in that process that lets us know where all of this gold came from. Let's hop back a few chapters in Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus 12, verse 35 and 36, it tells us about this lesser known miracle. It says this, and the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. I can't explain this. It was a miracle. It is as much of a miracle as the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea is that when Israel left Egypt, they left Egypt with Egyptians' wealth. And so several months go by and they're sitting here and Moses says, hey, God gave us this instruction for a golden lampstand. Can we come up with 94 pounds of solid gold? And in the offerings of the people who had just exited as freed slaves, they come up with 94 pounds of solid gold to make this gorgeous, ornate, artistic masterpiece that is not just pretty to look at, but it also has a very important and slightly obvious function. It's there to bring light. So uh, unlike the courtyard, the holy place is completely surrounded with these thick curtains all around and the top. Even in the middle of the day, the holy place would be completely pitch black if it didn't have a light source. The priests had a routine that they practiced at the beginning of each day and in the evening of each day. And the practice is, is they would come into this golden lampstand and they would trim back the wick. So each one of those seven lamps on this one big stand, each one of those lamps would be a little bit like a cup or a bowl. And in that bowl, you would have olive oil, which is one of the fascinating little miracles of God's creation is that olive oil by itself isn't flammable. But if you put a string or a small rope or a wick into that olive oil, that olive oil will fuel that wick. And if that wick is trimmed, it is going to burn for a very long time. So every morning and every evening, the priest would come in, they would trim the wicks, and they would refill the lamps with olive oil, and the lamps would never extinguish. So there is this eternal light inside this holy place that is burning every day and every night. The symbolism of the golden lampstand is rich, and it can actually mean a lot of different things all at the same time. I want to focus tonight on three pictures of the golden lampstand, and the first one is this. Number one, God's creation is his temple. 
So follow me. In Genesis chapter 1, God forms the world, and he does it in seven days. And on the seventh day, this amazing thing happens after God's creation is complete. And on the seventh day, the Bible tells us that God's presence filled the whole earth. This is God's way of saying, my creation is my temple. The things that I have made, the people that I have made are my worship. This is where I dwell. This is where I will make my space. This will be my house in my creation. Well, then sin comes into the world, and as that temple is defiled, man is broken off with his relationship with God, and now they're in the wilderness trying to reconcile that broken relationship. In the chapters we've been reading in Exodus, from Exodus 25 to Exodus 31, God now explains what we're going to do next. And when he explains what to do next, God gives seven speeches over seven days. And he explains how we're going to build a tabernacle in the wilderness. This golden lampstand is meant to be symbolized as the tree of life. It is pointing towards creation. It's covered in these leaves and these bulbs as a way to say, my temple is my creation. And that pointing forward to that maybe one day, if man could be reconciled with God, if there was a way to untarnish men and women from their sins, then maybe once again, God's people could be my temple. That my creation could be where I dwell. The second picture is this. The Holy Spirit is everlasting fuel. You know, throughout the Bible, uh, oil is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Kings and priests were anointed with oil. Today, when we pray for people, we use oil as a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we talk to children about asking Jesus into their heart, that's a perfectly fine way to talk to children, but probably a more mature way to think about it is we ask the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. He is the everlasting fuel. He is the one that keeps the lights on. The Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, exceeding, uh, interceding for all those who believe. And the Holy Spirit dwells in everyone who believes. He is your everlasting fuel. He is the one who keeps the lights on. The third picture is the one that we're going to settle into tonight. The third picture is this. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm going to reread the quote from the author I said at the beginning of this talk. Most people fear the darkness. Others, more wisely, fear the things within the darkness. Can you imagine what it would feel like to be lost in the wilderness? So you were freed from captivity and you're thankful for your freedom, but yet you're looking around at the freedom starving to death in a desert and you're wondering what's next? Where is my food today going to come from? Where is my water today going to come from? Will I ever have a home again? And in that darkness, in the middle of that desert, in the middle of that lostness, God places an eternal flame inside his holy place, and he says, don't worry, a light is coming, and a light is going to show you the way you don't have to be in the darkness anymore. Two weeks ago, we talked about the heart that seeks belonging. And last week, we talked about the heart that seeks forgiveness. I want to convince you tonight that belonging and forgiveness are irreplaceable, but they are also incomplete. 
It is good that you belong. It is good that you are forgiven. But in your relationship, in your journey towards God, those two things are not enough. Your heart is designed to need direction. You know, can you imagine starting in a new job, and you get to your new job, and you meet your boss at the door, and they say, hey, we are so excited about you. We've heard about you. You are going to be a great employee. We forgive you for, you know, getting fired from your last job. You belong here. You are part of this community. We are so excited about this. Here is your desk, and here is your chair. You just have a seat right there, and have a great day. And they just leave you, and they walk out the door. What are you going to do that day? How is this going to go? You would sit there, and you would say, I, I belong here. But, but that's not enough. I, I, I need direction. I need to know how to take the next step. I belong and I've been forgiven, but I'm still in the dark. I, I fear that there are too many people today who are trying to build a relationship in Christ only through belonging and forgiveness. So they would say, you know, I, I belong to Christ. I belong to the people of Christ, to his church, his body. Um, I've been forgiven. I accept his forgiveness over all of my past. I know that I've been cleansed. But now I'm just going to keep living my life exactly like I've always lived it. I, I don't need any help. I'm just going to keep doing things like I've always done. I've got it from here. And I'm going to take that. And you can do that for a certain period of time. But I promise you that if you live that way, you're going to keep bumping into things in the dark. So if you accept the belonging and forgiveness of Christ, but you don't seek his direction in your personal finances, you are going to keep bumping into things in the dark. If you accept Christ and belong and are forgiven, but you don't seek his direction in your romantic relations and sexuality, you're going to keep bumping into things in the dark. We need the light of Jesus Christ to show us the way. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You will not have the light that is life. You will have the light that leads to life. Can we do our best to stop perceiving Jesus as a destination point? I've got Jesus. I've arrived, and I'm here now, and it's done, and I'm good, and everything's over. Jesus is not the light of life. He is the light that leads to life. When Mandy preached the opening week of this series, we talked about how Jesus is the gate, and when you see a nice gate, you don't just sit down at the gate and say, wow, what a beautiful gate. I'm so glad that I'm here. Let's just sit down and enjoy this gate. No, that is not the function of the gate. The gate is meant to be walked through. Jesus is the entry point. We go through Jesus to our relationship with God. That same point applies to today, that Jesus is not the light of life. He is the light that leads to life. He is the pathway towards God and relationship with him. He is going to light the path towards abundant life, towards redeemed living, towards righteous thinking. Your heart is designed to seek direction. We can look for it in all of the wrong places or we can turn to the light of the world. Will Jesus light your path to God? Will you let him give you direction in your heart, the direction that your heart was designed to need? Let Jesus light your path, and lead you to life. Many times people accept Christ, and they would like to think that everything gets fixed in a moment. Jesus is not a destination point. Jesus is the light 
that leads to life. So when you were introduced to Jesus, the light bulb goes on, look around, learn him, follow him, listen to him, and let him lead you to life. I want to encourage you today to seek Christ's direction in your life through his teaching, through his testimony, and through his people. The teaching of Christ is one of the reasons that we gather in this room every Wednesday night is to learn what is in Scripture, to learn the words of Christ. The words of Christ should be precious to everyone who calls upon his name, that we would seek him and know and meditate upon his words. His words are rich with the direction that your life needs, that when you run into a wall, when you bump into something in the dark, fall and look into the words of Christ. Humble yourself and say, Jesus, what have you taught that can lead the way in my life. We can see his direction through his testimony. This is what he did, who Christ was, how he showed compassion to the people that he loved, how he gave sacrificially, how he died and was risen from the dead. As we see his actions, we can imitate him as he was the light of the world. You can be light in your world, and we can learn from his testimony and allow the testimony of Christ to bring light to our path. I also think God uses the people of his church to bring light to your life, that God did not leave you alone. He did not leave you in a spiritual community of one. He left you with people surrounded with you who can help lead you in your path, that when you get stuck, when you bump into something in the dark, you can call on a fellow brother or sister in Christ and say, I need some light. I need someone to help show me the way, show me the path towards life, and will you help show that light, and will you help show me the way so that I can live the abundant life that God has for me. I want to close tonight with uh, a reading about a worship service down in the book of Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, many times the book of Revelation itself can be overwhelming because of all of the details and the symbolism, and we can sometimes find ourselves getting lost. I think the book of Revelation is best read as a story about worship services, of a picture of worship services that are to come. And in Revelation chapter 4, it's talking about one of these worship services that is to come. And I want to read it together with you as we close. Revelations 4, verse 2 through 8 says this. I saw a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. And the one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald, of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. Reminds me of the seven flames of the golden lampstand. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your Son. I thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. I hope that everyone in this room can remember back to what it felt like to be in darkness. 
for those who have known you their whole life, who can imagine what life would be like without you. To be lost, to be in the dark, to not know what was in front of them or behind them. I pray, Lord, tonight that each one of us who knows you would have a renewed gratefulness for the light of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you have shown us the way. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not leave us on your own. Thank you that you have shown brightly in our lives, giving us the direction that our hearts are hungry for. I pray for every person in this room right now who, who might feel like they are in a cloudy season, in a season, season of things that don't make sense, of a season of things that seem dark, and I pray, Lord, that you would light their path. I pray for those who are in a season of darkness with relationships, of relationships that don't make sense, that don't seem to have a pathway to be put back together, and I pray, Lord, that you would shine light into them. I pray for those who are in a season of darkness in their health, of medical decisions that need to be made or miracles that need to be experienced. And I pray, Lord, that you would shine a light into their health situation. I pray for those who are in a season of darkness in their finances, who need a miracle of a new job, who need a, a, a miracle of a new way to manage their finances and to see new wealth. I pray, Lord, that you would shine light on them and that they would see a, a new path by the power of your Holy Spirit. We need you, God. We're not going to do this on the, our own. We can't make it out of the woods by ourselves. We need you. And I pray, Lord, that today, in this season, in our lives, in our lives and in our hearts, you would just be shining as brightly as ever. Let us stand in awe of you, of your greatness. Let us be people who surround your throne and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is still to come. We give you praise tonight, and we pray that you would be interceding on our behalf. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We trust all these things. We give it all to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.